This is Geeks and Jacks. Hello and welcome back to Geeks and Jocks, episode 86. This is Ryan Sullivan recording October 19th, 2021. Thank you for listening in. Uh, as before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits you. <laughs> so, definitely got some stuff to talk about. Definitely uh, a lot of movies to talk about. A lot of uh, gaming, NFL, MLB. Maybe some small TV. One particular show that turned 70. One of the most important sitcoms to ever come out. Very, we'll talk about that very briefly. So, let's jump right into the movies. So, I don't know where to begin on on, on what movies to talk about. Uh, there was a trailer to a movie that was put up on YouTube about a month ago called American Underdog, and I didn't even know about it. I, I, I've heard of this movie being made. I didn't know they put up a trailer a month ago. So what is American Underdog? It's the uh, story of Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner is, to me, one of the more overrated players of the NFL, but I also think his story is is really good. I think it's more a very inspirational story and that's why it's getting made into a movie. And they're definitely playing up the idea of that he couldn't amount to anything in high school, couldn't amount with the coaches in Green Bay, his first team there. Mike Martz not being overly impressed with him in St. Louis and you know just finding ways to get better, you know, the support of his uh, wife, Brenda, and all this other stuff. It definitely looks interesting. Uh, looks decently casted. Zachary Levi as Kurt, Anna Paquin as, uh, looks like Brenda, and Dick Vermeil being played by Dennis Quaid, I want to say. Man, I think, this, I think this is Quaid's third football film. Maybe more, but because the only other films I can think of are uh, Any Given Sunday and The Express. That's all. It definitely looks like an interesting film. I wouldn't mind seeing it. Uh, comes out Christmas Day. Seems like it'd be a good film. I mean, both uh, Kurt and Brendan Warner are uh, pr- produced the film. So they probably have a little control over uh, what what can be done, yada, yada, yada. Uh, just hope that it turns out to be a quality film. Now, there's one film in particular on Disney Plus. When when Disney bought Fox uh, two years ago, there were plans to revive some of their uh, some of Fox's projects, two of which included uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Home Alone. 
believe Diary of a Wimpy Kid's getting a release, but the big one that was announced last week was uh, Home Alone with their with their reboot, uh, Home Sweet Home Alone, which is supposed to be the reboot of the uh, original film, and a lot, and I mean a lot of people did not like it, and the, the like to dislike thing on YouTube for that for the trailer, uh, no one liked it. Uh, it's I'd say twenty five percent like, seventy five percent dislike. So I didn't hate the trailer. I didn't like it, and I mean I I, I heard bits and pieces. Like with some of their casting and a few others, um, Archie Yates uh, playing the the child uh, Max. He's just, he's the lead guy, and bad guys played by um, Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper. It's two two thieves looking for an heirloom. So there's it's not exactly like the first, but there's definitely some elements, and it definitely feels like they're going for more of the first film quite a bit, which, honestly, if you think it's going too much to be directly like the first film, just watch the first film. I probably would as well. Um, I definitely would want to watch it uh, at, at some point, but Eh, I don't really have the energy to. And a lot of people, they're more, they're more willing to watch the first two Home Alones, I think, maybe the third one compared to compared to the rest. And people are wondering about a uh, if Macaulay Culkin would have a cameo. Maybe Kevin McAllister has a brief scene or something. They actually have. Uh, the guy who played Buzz in the first two movies, and he plays a cop. So I don't know if it's cameo or if, if it's a small role or anything, but it is a nice touch. Um, believe one of the writers for the film is a Saturday. It feels like, kind of feels like a Saturday Night Live type of thing with uh, one of its writers uh, writing the film. And sh- shoot, they got. Keenan Thompson in there. I don't know what, but just something comes off like they're trying to get TV actors. And like I said, didn't hate it, didn't like it. Just it, it didn't make me laugh, unfortunately. And I can't imagine it doing real well critically. And I can't imagine a lot of people liking it. I mean, so, people will. But it, it you're, probably the consensus consensus would be just watch the first movie. And speaking of watching originals, I wonder how people feel about uh, Halloween because Halloween Kills was the number one movie um, at the box office this past weekend. Made. Just shy of fifty million, and with the way the last movie came out, uh, doing rather well, all things considered. 
Uh, looks like people still want to give this a chance. Uh, reception, not as hot, but it's still decent enough to where people will still go to see it. It, it is horror-themed after all, and it is at the right time to have this type of film. What I look at a little bit uh, is the glut of the horror films this year. Will that impact it quite a bit? I don't know, but it's it's one of the originals, the, the, the big franchise that everyone knows about. And when you have Jamie Lee Curtis still reprising her role that she made famous uh, 40 plus years ago that helps a little bit and just doing whatever they can to stop uh, Michael Myers without going too far from the formula I mean people that know how to make competent films and not try to create an overly long uh, story compared to what they were trying to do in the late 80s and uh, mid 90s. No Time to Die. Definitely fell off. 23 plus million. Uh, The numbers according to uh, Box Office Mojo, by the way, uh, a little over 23 million. Not good. And and I I wonder if this has to do... uh, about just people not being impressed with Bond and maybe just pandemic stuff happening. I don't know. But looks like No Time to Die is going to be a guaranteed flop. It probably going to make whoever owns it and the distributors is going to make them lose. A bit of money. Excuse me, lose a bit of money. But I don't think that will deter uh, whoever's involved to uh, make more Bond films. I'm sure they'll find someone down the road. I know it. Uh, Venom 2, 16 million at number 3. That's not too bad. It's not a great drop, but still it's made itself a decent amount of money, and I don't know how many other international markets it's found itself in, but I I would believe it would boost itself internationally and give them a a decent-sized profit. For the uh, Adams Family 2, at 7 million, obviously not going to reach the levels of the original animated film of the first animated film to be exact excuse me but the last duel uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck I didn't even know those two were in it came out 4.8 million or 4.7 I forget the number exact huge flop major flop so I think maybe just maybe the love affair of uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Maybe it's waning. There was that uh, Wall of China film, I believe, that had Damon in it, and a lot of people thought that was badly uh, 
miscasted. Badly miscasted. So, a lot of it, I think, was the criticism of Matt Damon being in it. And I don't know if that's happening again or not, but, man, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Anyway, um, there's a comedian a week ago. His name is Jamie Costa. Guy is, I think. I want to look that up. Uh, I believe he's thirty years old, thirty-one or thirty, and he put up a video of thirty-one years old. I thought he was thirty. Uh, he put up a video that went viral, and it's got people wanting a biopic out of this and I'll explain what the deal is so he put up a 5 minute video on his YouTube account of him doing Robin Williams and the scene is March 5th 1982 which I'll get into why in a brief moment getting ready to do his show Mark and Mindy on the Paramount lot with a distraught uh, Pam Dauber in his trailer and trying to get his attention, and she ultimately does. Uh, The reason why they picked that date is the people that produced this short clip is because that's the day uh, comedian John Belushi passed away. Now, there's definitely story to this. Uh, The story goes of the night that uh, Belushi passed. Uh, he was basically on a party, party binge, snorting cocaine with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro, it just having the time of his life, and ultimately it cost him his life. I I want to say I remember reading something long ago. It was a speedball. If I remember correctly, that's that's a combination of heroin and uh, heroin and cocaine, and one's like a one's like a high, and one's a low, and I think with it being a lethal combination, I mean, it like it can kill you probably in a, in a flash, and. This scene that was pro- this clip that was produced, Robin Williams is dis- just is in disbelief, and once it hits him, after uh, Dauber leaves the trailer, he he isn't trying to do funny impressions; is just distraught at hearing that sudden news. Of Belushi passing, I think what it brings to people is just how impressive, unfortunately, um, how scary good Costa is at at doing Robin Williams. It's uncanny the resemblance of the voice. If there's a very small 
part that isn't the same, then uh, someone will have to notice because I couldn't really tell the difference, if I'm being honest. That's how good it was. That's how good the voice was. But ultimately, uh, a lot of people want to see this as a biopic. They want they want this guy to do Robin Williams for a biopic. Now, there's no plans in mind to do a movie centered around the comedian, but I can't imagine studios really going for that. Maybe documentaries, potentially, but I'm not sure about a biopic. And not to mention, I'm not sure people want to see a very beloved comedian be be shown on screen suffering from so much depression that that it impacts the film in in such a big way, positively and negatively. And it's gotten to the point where this is how big it's gotten. It's gotten big to where where fans are sending the clip to Robin Williams Robin's daughter, uh, Zelda, and telling them to stop. And it, it, it basically showing one of the lowest moments to her. You know, I don't blame her, to be honest. I don't blame her for, for acting this way, because I, I really think a lot of people are just... They, they don't understand the concept of depression and the fact that I don't think they understand that Belushi's death now I've never read any of the big stories about getting clean but I'm, I'm assuming that because of Belushi's death Williams got clean and stayed clean for a good 20 years or so and then he fell off the wagon and went back to certain things and you combine that with things like depression uh, it can spiral way more than usual and I think ultimately the depression got so severe that's why he committed suicide uh, seven years ago I'm not sure we really need a film I'm not sure if it's an appropriate time to even have a film uh centering around his life and I think the subject matters altogether there's more to it than just hey I do improv I hey I'm gonna cheer people up you know hey I'm gonna do something cool for these people on this movie sure there might be some stuff that happened with you know arguing with Disney on certain parts with Aladdin and several other films feeling like he got screwed over for Bicentennial Man, a few other things. But I think just some of the stuff like the depression, uh, the, the the drinking, the cocaine binges, whether it's early in his life, late in his life, I'm not sure it would work. And I think, I think it's a well-produced five-minute clip as a, as a test idea, it, it's it's really good and it captures a lot of emotions, a lot of the energy and 
just creating that sense of disbelief, distraught. Really, really good. And, you know, I think as right as of right now, I think it's just best to stay as a test footage type of thing. I don't think we need a biopic. At least, in, we don't need one yet. But, yeah. Now, I don't have a lot to say with... This is one of the difficult things to talk about moving on, is there's not a lot to talk about with television. There really isn't a lot to talk about, because there are so many channels on TV, and it's so fractured that it's hard to know what is on TV, what isn't. TNT and is putting up their uh, hockey stuff right now. You got USA Network having another sitcom on their hands, and it's the they have uh, in reruns Last Man Standing, the uh, Tim Allen sitcom. That's something I kind of thought about a little bit just before um, recording the. Uh, the episode today is that that small little period of time for those ABC sitcoms. I'd say '09 through 2011. I feel like I missed out on. I I really missed out on Modern Family because it was a sitcom that came out in '09, and unfortunately, that was senior year of high school for me. Senior year, so with college looming I probably watched a decent amount of the first season episodes and then just stopped because I was so fixated on college doing stuff that I kind of forgot that the show existed to some capacity there was actually uh, another one the middle that actually from some of the few reruns I've seen not a not too bad of a show. I mean, there. I mean, there's better choices for sitcoms, but they're definitely two of the better ones from that time period. It's just hard to think about like all these sitcoms that have come and go. And just I'll talk very briefly. Uh, one that paved the way and actually turned seventy uh, not too long ago, the fifteenth, and that is. I love Lucy. Talk about geeking out, but that it, it was a very important sitcom centered around Lucy Ricardo and her <clears throat> husband Ricky, played by uh, Lucille Ball and uh, Desi Arnaz. I think that's how you say his last name. Both married in real life, <clears throat> and Lucy just creating havoc all around, and their their neighbor. Uh, just it, it was one of the biggest sitcoms. It it helped pioneer the tropes, the gags. I mean, granted, you, there was comedy before it, but not in this half-hour type format where it has some form of structure. It isn't slapstick heavy, such as the Three Stooges. Which fun little fact. Lucille Ball actually was in a Three Stooges episode, one of the very early ones, where uh, 
it's three little pigskins actually, where the the where the Stooges wind up being uh, football players for a game, and it's a fixed game by the way, a lot of money put on the line. So, <laughs> and I think she had a couple small roles in. I think she had like a very small role in that episode, and I think I think they had like a pie bit in it or something with food. I think that's what I remember. <laughs> but yeah, it without it, you don't see stuff like say Leave It to Beaver, um, Andy Griffith, and many of these other sitcoms that came about in the fifties and sixties. That's all I have to say. It's just it is what it is. I mean, the fact that there were still reruns of it a couple of years ago really says a lot to the testament of how it's held up, even though it's a 50s show. Six years on the air, very huge altogether. So, yeah, it's just something really brief with television. It, it, it's difficult to really talk about television. Like I said, it's, I mean, what is there really that's interesting? Because you got a lot of the same stuff, way too many crime shows, and... Entertainment as a whole, I think the biggest thing was the was Dave Chappelle uh, with another Netflix special. Uh, here's the thing: I think people don't seem to understand uh, comedians. Most comedians, I'd say, are pretty controversial. They're going to say a lot of things you don't necessarily agree with, but it's going to get a lot of laughs regardless. I guess the latest Chappelle special. Uh, I don't think Chappelle really gives two shits about hurting people's feelings. That's that's the point of comedians. They're not they're not here to to make you feel better. They're here to to laugh, poke fun at lots of things, and they're going to poke fun at every side. That's what the bottom line is for these comedians. And I guess Chappelle pissed off a number of trans people and there was a, I guess, a walkout at Netflix because of being offended so easily. That's why people watch comedians. They they want to hear the stuff that they come up with. Now, there are points where they do cross the line, but I don't see Chappelle really as crossing the line. Controversial? Yes. But the fact that he's, he was willing to make fun of himself and his color uh, 20 years ago, almost, almost 20 years ago with Chappelle's show, the first episode, for God's sake, make poking fun of himself and blacks. That, that, that says a lot. Now, I'm not sure if he would go back to that style like he did on Chappelle's show, but I, it, that, that's what comedians do without them, and it's harder for these comedians to do shows because everybody gets offended so easily. It doesn't matter if it's trans or trans people or uh, uh, these 20-year-old snowflakes who who get weaned on watching safe, squeaky clean stuff. I, it, it doesn't hurt to watch some R-rated stuff. It's not that bad. But I can't imagine Netflix caring because, hey, it's probably making them quite a bit of money. Now, as far as money goes, let's move to gaming for a minute. 
definitely got some stuff to talk about. So, not anything too major as far as what I'm looking at. Uh, Call of Duty coming out November 5th with the Vanguard uh, release. And PlayStation 5, from what I read, having a better sales figure for a month than the uh, Nintendo Switch. Definitely a bit of Nintendo stuff to talk about because uh, Nintendo Switch expansion. <clears throat> so this is something that I mentioned. I'm not sure if it was the last episode or two episodes ago. I forget. But Nintendo announced their uh, expansion of getting Nintendo 64 and Sega Genesis games. And it was, from what I read, snuck in there with a direct regarding DLC for uh, Animal Crossing. And combined with the year subscription, it is 50 bucks altogether. And this has drawn a bit of outrage online. I don't know where to start with it because it it, it it's just it, it's a it's just strange to see Nintendo go this route and it just screw up in such a huge way two systems only and the the system libraries there's there's a lot on the Sega Genesis, not huge amount of N64 games, and a lot of the titles that people played and liked, it's not possible to get them because of developers and publishers being gone. So copyright stuff, that's a big issue. Licensing, a lot of the big stuff is, a lot of some of the big stuff is licensed licensing games. So, GoldenEye, for example, not happening. You, you're you left with a very short amount of games. And for this, they put up, I think it was seven, eight games for the uh, 64. And I can't imagine it being updated greatly. And that's been one of the big complaints I see a lot of. Nintendo inconsistent updating on what game's coming out for the uh, NES and Super NES. The Genesis one, uh, the problem is all but two or three, you can easily get on compilations with much more value. And that's one thing I'm going to say with that. Uh, Sega Genesis Classics. Now, I don't know the price of it when it first came out for the Switch, but it was a $30 game for PlayStation 4 and uh, Xbox One. And I got the PlayStation 4 version day one for 30 bucks. That's a lot of value, all things considered. 50 plus games. A lot of the great Sega published games. Some not so much. Uh, there is Castlevania Bloodlines and Contra Hardcore. But they're on their own compilations that Konami put out 
and these you get much more you get a lot of the early to mid 90s Contra and Castlevania games you get Game Boy games you get Super Nintendo you get NES along with those Genesis games you get Japanese versions you get extra little features that you don't see too often that's that's the great thing about compilations some of the extra stuff that they put in that's what's so cool about you know and also like bil- abilities excuse me yawning there <laughs> playing something like Kid Chameleon a game that was proposed to have battery backup but didn't when it came out in mid 1992 now is the ability to save your game anytime on PS3, 360, PS4, Switch, Xbox One. It's really cool to see that type of thing. If there were a few other systems put in there, I think I think it would soften the blow a little bit more. I don't think people were anticipating the, the Genesis to be on there. I really don't think... I think people wanted to see... I don't know, GameCube? Maybe the Game Boy line? Because think about the Game Boy line. I think that's one of the more neglected aspects of the... uh, of Nintendo in general. Just ignoring their... uh, ignoring their uh, handheld line prior to the DS... But they they did they did put out some Game Boy and Game Boy Color stuff on the 3DS, uh, Game Boy Advance on the Wii U, which is really an odd choice. I think they put some DS stuff on there as well. I might be wrong on that, but it's been wildly inconsistent. And honestly, people want I don't see it really eating into. The, the lines on the 3DS and Wii U. I don't see the issue of having Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance on on the Switch. I don't see what the big fuss is on including it. Just do it. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? And for this to be a service... And once you lose the subscription service, you don't play them anymore. That's what's also frustrating, which is a shame, because next month, I mean, the Wii turns 15. And, at least to me, and I'm sure for many others, Nintendo got it right the first time around. They really did. When the Wii launched, it had five systems. It had NES... It had Super Nintendo, it had Nintendo 64, but it had competing consoles. It had Sega Genesis, and it had TurboGrafx-16. Sega Genesis wound up having, I believe, the second largest amount of titles released for it behind the NES. They were pretty close, if I remember. The N64 had one of the weaker ones. Super NES was there in the middle. Turbo Graphics, uh, half 
I, I, it was about 40% of the uh, TurboGrafx library, along with some Japanese ones, uh, such as Ron, Castlevania Rondo of Blood. That was a big deal to have. And that, eventually they went to doing some arcade ones. Commodore 64, I think, was another one. Sega Master System, they, they, they worked on expanding it. And that is how you keep people coming to the service that's that's what you do that's what you fully do and since then they they've done okay with other stuff 3ds definitely has a decent amount of nes super nes although super nes i think you needed the new 3ds which i don't understand that's that should the 3D, the original 3DS should be able to do the SNES stuff justice. I don't get it. You got Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Game Gear, and Nintendo dropped the ball with the Wii U. With I think it was just NES and Super NES, some Turbo graphics, I believe. That was about it, along with the Game Boy Advance. I want to say DS might have made it to the to that virtual console. I might be wrong on it. So, I actually want to look at that virtual console Wii U because I want to see if it had anything for that. Just for a brief moment. All right. NES uh, NES had 94 titles on the uh, Wii Wii U. Oh, they actually did have uh, N64 on. That's that's interesting. I didn't think of that. Uh, Super NES 50. A lot of these look like they were games that came out for both this and the original Wii. Game Boy Advance 74 games. That's a lot. And that's going to be one of the biggest uh, shames is Nintendo shutting down the uh, Wii U eShop or Virtual Console whenever that, whenever they think about doing that. I'm just seeing what they got. Uh, some Castlevania, some Pac-Man, a lot of the Mario reboots, Mega Man Battle Networks, a lot of them actually. There's actually a good amount of games here that that's a, okay. There are DS games, but not a lot. Man, I don't know if how that would translate. So let's see what they got here. Uh, some Yoshi stuff, some Mario stuff. They didn't. Wow, that was 2015. They started with that. Uh, let's see, Big Brain Academy or Brain Age. That's what I meant to say. Uh, some Metroid, some Pokemon. When was the last time? So, Turbo Graphics, 40 of them. That's... Yeah, a lot of the IRIM games for it. That's, I mean, that's that's pretty poor compared to um, what the Wii was doing. And this, this service right now for the Switch, that's a lot of money. And when you, there's a family plan of eight, you know, up to eight people, thirty-five dollars for just that. When you add it 
add the expansion, 80 bucks. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a family to spend on. That uh, that that's uh, that to me is very prohibitive. The price definitely for the original subscription, that's still pretty bad itself. If it had if it had a couple more systems, heck, just add the Game Boy line, Game Gear. I don't think people would criticize badly. The original Game Boy is is, is very underrated, and there is a, a unique library that you can find. Uh, like, seriously, there is some great stuff. You look at the first four, maybe five years of it. One of the more unique libraries that you'll find for anything, and, th- and that says a lot for a lot of the the systems at that time. Think about it. Lynx had a unique library. NES had a unique library. Sega Genesis, Turbo Graphics, like their libraries. There was incentives to get into these systems because with the Game Boy, you can get you get Tetris for free. You can play stuff like Castlevania. Get some of the Konami stuff on there. Gargoyles Quest, some Disney stuff from Capcom, Super Mario Land, and some of these other titles. If you held on to your Game Boy long enough, you get Link's Awakening in '93. You get a Turbo Graphics. You get games such as Legendary Axe, Splatterhouse, Sega Genesis, uh, Ghostbusters, Castle Illusion. Golden Axe, many of the arcade games of Sega. It, it, it just... I wish Nintendo would, would not neglect their stuff. I really wish they would not do that. There, There is so much good stuff, and they're sitting on a gold mine. How do you not make more money off of selling people... And it's one of the big questions in regards to emulation. Emulation is a touchy subject. And Nintendo has gone after many. uh, Forcing uh, certain ROM sites to be shut down. Some for real reasons. There was one in particular that... uh, Was making money off of selling the... uh, Off of selling... The ROMs. I believe the guy still owes a couple million dollars. But ROM stuff in general, um, I think Nintendo hurts emulation in general. And I, I think I share this sentiment as others do. It's not necessarily a bad thing if you're emulating, say, a 40-year-old game or an NES game for that matter because there's chances are some of these games are never going to see re-release again they just aren't now something that is modern and this is something that was a big deal about a week or two ago Kotaku kind of supporting emulation a little bit but not blatantly saying it directly for uh, Metroid Dread The thing is, 
if you try to emulate something recent, if you try to emulate something within the last year or two, you're you're asking for someone to dig your own grave. That's why I think has happened. That's why I think will happen. Um, if it's something older, I really don't think it should be that big of a deal. And I think when you lose a when you lose a ROM site, you not only lose Nintendo, uh, you lose Atari, you lose Sega, you lose DOS games, and it gets harder and harder to find sites that don't have viruses, and you can have no hassle of downloading some of these ROMs. It just it, it definitely is a gray area at points too, but. I just I, I don't see a lot of these comp- companies really caring. I mean, is it is it really is, is NES stuff really hurting Nintendo? I really don't think so. Maybe a small amount, but nothing too major. So it just I, I wish Nintendo would just look at what can be done and not be lazy with it. I'm going to assume probably their next console, if they do make another one, they'll probably have a lot more services, but I wouldn't hold my breath on it. So, yeah. (sighs) And lastly is sports. Talk about football briefly. So, a lot of stuff going on. King Henry, Derrick Henry... Three touchdowns en route to a big win for the Tennessee Titans, beating the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo going for it on fourth down. Instead of kicking a field goal to tie it, they go for it, they lose. Now, thankfully, no one in the East won. Miami, they lose to Jacksonville and snap Jacksonville's 20-game losing streak. Big win. That was a London game, by the way. Huge win. Gets Trevor Lawrence's first win. Definitely a lot of questions now on whether or not Brian Flores can even lead the Dolphins to victory. 10-win season last year. They've got one win, and that was week one against New England. Speaking of New England, what a show for uh, Dak Prescott. Huge game for him. Dallas wins in overtime. Some people might look at him still as a Super Bowl favorite. I don't know. When you give up that many points, eh, I don't know. Defense probably still needs a little bit of work. And actually, uh, New England did pretty well running the ball, throwing the ball. Some costly picks, though. Uh, Trayvon Diggs, seven interceptions in six games. That was a stat I read. uh on his stat line altogether for the season. It, that's really good. Uh, last time Dallas had a leading interception leader was in 1985 with Everson Walls. 2-4 and four, uh, New England, 1-5 and five, uh, Miami. They're actually last place because the Jets actually had uh, this week off. Buffalo still, still a team to beat in the AFC, but that might wind up being costly. 
Cincinnati beating up on Detroit. What else is new? Joe Burrow really playing well. He's putting up some pretty good numbers. So this team is still for real. 4-2 and two for the year. Detroit, I don't think they've won a game yet. But Baltimore won their game in what was supposed to be a good matchup. And ultimately, the L.A. Chargers couldn't do anything. Herbert threw okay, but the run game didn't do much. Lamar Jackson didn't have a huge game himself, but the run game really helped out in the defense, obviously. A lot of questions, I guess, that John Harbaugh sees of critics of uh, Jackson. There was a headline of him saying uh, they're probably whistling in their graveyards right now. Probably a cute little Halloween type thing, but let's see how much the love affair of Lamar Jackson goes. Uh, 35-8 and eight for his career so far. Thing is, he's not the greatest passer in the world, but he will have to show that he can be a passer in the future as his running ability becomes slower and slower over time. Unless he finds ways to keep at a very good speed. Baltimore 5-1 and one for the year. Five in a row. Following uh, their week one loss to the Raiders. Cleveland. Cleveland laying an egg to Arizona. Arizona stays unbeaten. 6-0. and oh. Their running back situation pretty bad for Cleveland. Uh, they lose Kareem Hunt. So it's going to be backup guys. Not an impressive game all around. Uh, Kyler Murray still playing. Lights out good football. Uh, James Conner kind of leading the way rushing. And A.J. Green actually finding the end zone a couple times this year. So, you know, he's kind of getting back into form. Kind of the guy to fill in the shoes of Larry Fitzgerald a little bit. Man, Man, if only Larry Fitz was on that team. If they win the Super Bowl without him that will be devastating to what is a really good and Hall of Fame career. All the stuff that he did for that for that team. So Cleveland three and three now. Pittsburgh actually three and three now following a wild game that went to overtime. And actually uh, before I get to that, Dallas New England was overtime game as well. C D Lamb having the game winner. Uh, 23-20 was the final in overtime for Pittsburgh. Though it could have been a bit more controversial with, uh, I guess, with where there was, uh, I guess, like where the ball was, spiking in. Just, just sounds like another bad week of NFL officiating, and it just gets louder and louder and louder. T.J. Watt with the big fumble. To lead to the game-winning field goal, Pittsburgh finds himself at three and three right now. Both them and Cleveland definitely need some things to go their way in order to take the uh, AFC North. Because Roethlisberger had a decent game, Najee Harris not not so too great with yards, but over a hundred yards from scrimmage, and I believe he had two touchdowns altogether. So, pretty good stuff out of the rookie. They always have good stuff with uh, running backs, Pittsburgh. 
Colts beat up on uh, beat up on Houston. What else is new with that? <laughs> right, let's look for here. We are Houston Texans. Yeah, thirty-one-three after. I'm I'm assuming there's a hugely demoralizing, which is okay, they actually ran the ball pretty well. Not great, but not phenomenal. Two interceptions from Davis Mills. Carson Wentz didn't need to do much. The Taylor guy, 145 and two scores. And T.Y. Hilton returned. That's that's a sign of good things to come. Uh, Colts get their second win of the year. Uh, two and four now for the year. One and five uh, Texans. With their win against Buffalo, Tennessee, I believe, is four and two for the year. So they're definitely riding high on Derrick Henry. Ten touchdowns for the year, nearing 800 yards rushing. He's doing a lot of things that I don't think people were anticipating. They look like to be the favorite to win the division right now, but anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh... You think with the controversies of John Gruden, the Raiders would struggle, but they actually won. Derek Carr had himself a really good game. Kenyon Drake had a couple touchdowns. Denver, they put up a they put up a valiant fight, but not enough to get past uh, the Raiders. Actually, I, I mean Teddy Bridgewater had a decent game from what I remember uh, looking at the stat line. Their their tight end Fant had had a good game. Oh but yeah, three touchdowns but three interceptions. Ouch. A lot their young guys are getting the ball and scoring, but not a lot out of their run game. Actually I want to look at that for a second. Some pretty good running altogether as far as scoring goes, uh for the Raiders. So four and two, they keep hold of second place. Uh Chargers laid an egg, like I said. So, but they still have first place in lieu of beating the Raiders uh, a couple weeks ago. Three and three Broncos might be a team that could be on the decline. <laughs> Man, just I thought they were going to be for real this year. So far, they've kind of been uh, faltering the last few weeks. Kansas City keeping themselves out of of trouble. Big win against the Washington football team. They're they're finding ways to win. They're throwing the ball decently, but Pat Mahomes throwing interceptions. This this is the fourth game where he's thrown interceptions. I feel like three out of the last four he's thrown at least two. He, he's not. He's still playing well. But I don't know if there's something demoralizing going on or if there's something with his throwing mechanics or if he can't see the same vision that he had the last three years or so. But something's up, but they're doing a lot of things right. And Taylor Heineke didn't do a lot of crap. The run game didn't do much, and... One of the things they did was uh, honor the late Sean Taylor 
which some didn't think that was a good gesture. And actually, one of the other things I would say with Pat Mahomes, someone better get his brother Jackson to to stop being an asshole. Seriously, this is this is something that you see with certain families. The way some people act. I mean, granted, he's still... I want to say he's a teenager. But still, that's... that That's bad on his part. And that's... I just don't get it. I want to see how old he is. Because that's just... Yeah, dancing on the retired number of Sean Taylor. Which is... That's just, that's just dumb. I mean... I don't care who it is. I mean, Sean Taylor was, in his brief career, a really good player. He was a hard tackler. And what happened to him should never happen to anybody. But he was being well-liked, and he was going to be going on his way to the Pro Bowl that year. Where is his age? It's just... I wish these kids would just be... I wish some of these kids would kind of think about what they're doing before they. St- I mean, twenty-one. Yeah, the kid's still immature. I hope he learns a few things here and there. But I don't know if this is just an act for TikTok or what. But that, this is, that's just stupid. I don't know why you would do that. Really. Kids today, I don't think they understand the term consequences. These 20, 21-year-olds today. Or even some of these high school kids. So that's the AFC in general. It's shaping up a little bit to be more tighter than I thought in some divisions. And see where things go as we reach the last week of football um, this upcoming Thursday and Sunday. NFC, uh, Dallas winning, Washington losing, New York Giants losing. If you're looking for a favorite for the Super Bowl, it's probably going to be the Rams. But in order for them to be looked at as true Super Bowl contenders, they got to beat more than just the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No one in the uh, NFC East looks good right now, with the exception of Dallas. Sloppy play from Philadelphia and their loss to... uh, to Tampa, the running of Leonard Fournette, the throwing of Brady—just they're they're clicking on all cylinders. They're firing on all cylinders, and the only big support is Jalen Hurts. That's the thing in Philly. They barely used Miles Sanders until late in the game. They're they're a predict they're a very predictable team, and Nick Sirianni. I think is going to be in a heap of crap. If they lose another game, expect the Philly fans to go nuts. And that's how bad their fan base is in general. Even a first year guy will get a lot of hate. If he gets one, if he doesn't, if he has another year where uh, they struggle badly, yeah, I could see him getting thrown out of Philly. Tampa on a roll, five and one for the year, I believe. Rams are five and one. 
So they still cling on to second place. Uh, Chicago losing to Green Bay. What else is new? Green Bay leading the way. I believe they are 4-2 or 5-1, I forget. Bears, uh, I believe, are 3-3 three three for the year. Just want to look at that for a brief moment. Man. You know, you know how bad it is when the rivalry gets so nutty. And they have a big game against Tampa this upcoming week. Three and three for the year. Bears five and one Green Bay. Just run the ball. Just run it. They're they're doing that with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. Jones with another receiving touchdown. Holy crap. I need to look at his stats. Because I think that's his fourth or fifth of the year. I'm trying to think of like who has the record for most receiving touchdowns in a season by a uh, running back. I, I really want to look into that. Because not a lot of catches this year so far for, uh, for Jones. But he's putting up some good fantasy stuff all things considered that that is his fourth that's his best so far in a season very impressed his best uh, was three uh, two years ago how he didn't wind up with a Pro Bowl nod in 2019 I'll never know Minnesota with a big victory against uh, Carolina winning in overtime on a game winner on a game-winning touchdown. Kirk Cousins playing really good football for this game. Carolina did a lot of good things uh, offensively, but not enough to win. The running of Dalvin Cook for Minnesota, just unbelievable. 3-3 three and three now for the year, and they could look like a good favorite to be a wild card if they just play games like this. And Carolina, start off good, and just as the case, the last few years or so, they suck after starting off really good on a season. Seriously, that's how Ron Rivera got fired. Now, I'm not sure they'll run Matt Rule out just yet, but another late egg season for next year that I think they'll be looked at as regrets of having uh, this coach. Trying to think of... I believe New Orleans and Atlanta didn't play, so... Yeah, just Tampa and Carolina. Tampa 5-1, and one, like I said. San Francisco didn't play. So, yeah, the Seahawks... Um, I believe they're three and three for the year now, or two and four. It's just it, it feels weird. It really feels weird seeing them as a team that's in the basement. Two and four. Uh, I mean, Pete Carroll's no stranger to sub five hundred. That's what happened in twenty ten and twenty eleven. But yeah, uh, basketball begins tonight for the NBA. Milwaukee versus Brooklyn, and LA Lakers against Golden State. 
Should be interesting to see where things go for this year and see if a form of normalcy and having fans will impact how the games are played. And if and if the NBA can even strike up decent ratings. They were an improvement over last year, but it still wasn't good enough. Be interesting to see how TNT and ESPN do with uh, days of having hockey games and basketball games. Maybe, maybe with hockey, it'll shed off some of the too much coverage of the NBA. But who the heck knows? <laughs> uh, baseball playoffs. Tampa Bay getting eliminated by uh, Boston. That that's a shock, huge shock. But. And again, their pitching, uh, their pitching doesn't come off to me as being one of the great aspects of it. And you got to have more than just Nelson Cruz to hit home runs for you, or put in some worthwhile base hits. And Boston right now is on a tear. They're they're, they're relying on the home run, and they're in right now uh, as of this recording, two and one. Uh, two-one series in favor of them against uh, Houston. One of those two teams wins the World Series. There's still going to be a lot of asterisks to them, especially with having Alex Cora back for the Red Sox and a number of those players that were on the uh, for the Astros on the 2017 World Series team and those 2018 and 2019 teams. Whether they cheated or not, I mean that's up in the air. Uh. L.A. Dodgers versus the Atlanta Braves. Braves 2-0 series right now. I think it would be the ultimate revenge if Atlanta were to make it to the World Series. Especially with getting screwed out of the uh, All-Star game. All that money they're going to get from it if they make the World Series. There's going to be plenty of scalpers. There's going to be plenty of money being thrown around to, to the city. But they still need to win two more games. Let's let's keep that realistic. Uh, huge series uh, for the Dodgers against uh, San Francisco, and one of the more controversial ways to end a uh, series with Wilmer Flores uh, looking like he swung. And from live looking at it live, I thought he did, but he held it up, and they did a, did get a second call and. Uh, Gabe Morales set strike three, ending San Francisco's uh, playoff uh, postseason with 107 wins, which is a lot, and to get eliminated in the first round or the divisional round that says a lot. Uh, then again, uh, before getting into the umpire thing, they didn't score any runs really, just one run. So the offensive woes that contributed to them getting eliminated in Game Five. But that said, a series shouldn't end on a check swing, and he did not swing the bat, Flores. This is the type of thing that I dread for all sports when umpires, referees dictate how a game goes, and for it to end on a call like that, that does sour what was a pretty good series. 
And this is the type of thing that makes me wish ref and umpire unions didn't exist at the pro level. I believe there was a attempt. This was from, I believe, a San Francisco website, a news San Francisco news station on their website. The umps did did say it was difficult, but they didn't want to explain what they saw after the replay. I think deep down, the umps knew they screwed up, but they didn't want to say anything. You might as well just come out cleanly, because if you don't say anything, I mean, social media will go after you even more. But with that, I mean, like I said, San Francisco didn't help themselves either, so it's... But still, it it does sting a bit more when an ump dictates a game. (laughs) One of the good things about this uh, end of the year is Joe West retiring, which is thank you, because Guy is one of the biggest screw-ups for baseball. And actually, thinking of just that, there were some complaints about uh, Dodgers-Giants being badly umped, being badly called as a whole. Some calls in favor of L.A., some calls in favor of San Francisco. You can't let that happen, especially in a series like this. But we'll have to see what happens with the other stuff. See what happens with other games. If a game... At some point, accountability has to happen. And and Rob Manfred is too cowardly to call out the umps. Even even someone like a Roger Goodell is too chicken to do that with his with his referees. Adam Silver with his referees. Player safety is a choke. I mean, when you look at the NHL, and they don't make any big calls on certain things, it just gets disheartening, and it makes watching sports really difficult. And one thing left to say uh, before I forget. Talk a tiny bit NASCAR. NASCAR, I really haven't really talked about the last few weeks or so. One of the big things that kind of got lost in the shuffle of all the sports stuff was uh, Bubba Wallace winning at, excuse me, Talladega. So that was a big deal. Um, One of the highlights of an otherwise disappointing season for uh, the 23 car. But, I mean, there's good talent in Wallace, but got to be more consistent and you hope to build on that momentum of a late season win and hope for a better 2022 but the big thing and this is something i knew about uh the the first particular part but someone did a rap of it and it is hilarious so there's this guy uh brandon bowden i believe his name is and he won a race at talladega with this being broadcast, the post-race interview, um, I'm going to look for that name. Brandon, where are you? Uh, I, I got to look at that for that name again <laughs> because it is so funny. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Is it? Uh, 
this was about more than a week ago. Uh, Brandon Brown, that's what it is. Brandon Brown uh, winning at Talladega in the Xfinity Series and NBC uh, reporter Kelly Stefast. Uh, I don't know if she's just... I wouldn't say she's being stupid on purpose, but she probably tried to cater to the audiences and try to make it seem a little more friendlier because the crowd was saying, fuck Joe Biden. And she she probably tried to spin it in a way to where they're saying, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> so it's become a big meme now, and now there's a rap for it that has quietly, or maybe not quietly, that has sprung up to the top of iTunes. <laughs> iTunes charting. Um... I think it does reflect a little bit on the status of the United States under Joe Biden as president. I really don't think he's making a lot of decisions on his own. I think there's others that are doing it for him. And I'm not sure if any of it's done by Kamala Harris. Who honestly I think hasn't done anything. anything. I, I feel like she hasn't accomplished anything. Whatever the case is, I don't think this presidency so far has had a good first year. I mean, lots of stuff are going up in price. Lots of spending and many other things. Uh, Granted, this is the South, so you know how the South is in regards to certain things in politics. But just the way they act (laughs) in this, this reporter trying to do her best to make things sound better. She just made things funnier. In the, there's a rap from this Lozy Alexander guy. It's. I think this is going to be a fad for the next month or so, and people are definitely going to have their fun with it. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Definitely going to be some interesting uh, news segments over the next, I don't know, couple weeks. So, yeah. So that, episode 86 in the books. As I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits you. So that's it for this episode of Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay clean. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.